welcome back to the last pre-playoff edition of the Forum Club. Bill Orm in the house. And we have a special guest, John Hollinger, who we very much appreciate coming on. Thought it was a good week for him because we have a lot of different Western Conference potential playoff matchups to discuss, including the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, it's weird. We're talking on a Tuesday. I think this is coming out on a Wednesday. It might be a little dated because so much is going on every day right now in the eight. But I'll kick it to you, John, quick. What are you even watching on this Tuesday? And what have you thought about this just wildness down at the eight seed? It's ended up being pretty exciting, right? You got the uh, undefeated Phoenix Suns making a run that nobody expected. San Antonio has shown a lot more life than anyone expected, I think. And uh, the Pelicans, who the everyone thought the schedule and everything was set up, was kind of greased for them to get in, have just were not a factor and have already been eliminated. And then, then you have Portland, too, who is rebuilt and obviously looks like a more of a threat now. And Memphis, unfortunately, who is in the best position of all these teams now without Jaron Jackson, is probably the team the Lakers would hope to face as, as the eighth seed if they were going to rank their opponents, right? John, why don't you go ahead and do that? Can you rank the opponents from in, in order of, of who the Lakers should want to face here? Slater and I did this on the podcast last week, but I'm curious to know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I think they should really try to get the Washington Wizards if they can. <laughs> but well, How about the Warriors? Or the Warriors. Yes, that's a great call. Um, No, the um, I think the Grizzlies of these four teams, because they're weakened uh, without Jackson being there. And the other thing with Memphis, they've relied all year on a very strong bench where when you get to the playoffs, it really comes down a lot more to just who are your best four or five players. And they're going to be playing 40 minutes a game. And so I think some of Memphis's advantages, even that they had in the regular season at full strength, go away in that setup. So I I do think Memphis is the opponent they'd want to face the most. And it's still plausible that Memphis could be the team they play. I mean, if Memphis hangs on to eight, then whoever finishes ninth has to beat them twice to get in. So that that's difficult to do back to back, even if you're a better team. So I think for that reason, uh, that's that's probably the team they want to play the most. I think the team that they want to play the least uh, is an interesting question because I think people instinctively would say Portland, but Portland, I don't think matches up well with the Lakers at all. Um, They have nobody who can guard LeBron, uh, especially with Trevor Ariza staying at home. Not a Gary Trent defensive believer, huh? Oh, I think Gary Trent can guard reasonably well, especially against like twos who are roughly his size, but given all the inches he's given up against LeBron, like asking him to be that guy at that level, I, I think is a serious reach. Um, and with their starting group out there, like they're going to end up with Zach Collins on LeBron with their current starting lineup. Cause they just, they just, you watch, yeah, they just mellow, always right. are hiding mellow, hiding mellow, hiding mellow, you know, put Zach Collins on Reggie Jackson so they can hide mellow. And I think that really hurts them at the defensive end their uh th- their bench is really bad but that's not other than Trent but it's probably not going to hurt them that much in a playoff series the other thing with Portland too though is that they're probably going to be running on fumes by the time they get to a playoff series you can see it already this week i mean they are having to push so hard just to get through this stretch and and get to this play in game and then they'll have probably had to win back to back games over the weekend uh t- to get themselves in so you just wonder how much they'll have left in the tank. Uh, Lillard certainly is pushing himself really hard. Uh, Nurkic is the other guy. I mean, you could see him really like 
running out of gas in the Philly game. Um, it, it, totally understandable, right? Coming back from the injury he had and then being forced into big minutes. So you wonder about that a little bit with the Blazers. Um, that said, I do think there's a danger there because I mentioned that they don't have a matchup for LeBron, but the Lakers don't have a great matchup for Lillard either. Uh, with Avery Bradley not being there, uh, Caruso's probably the guy who's most capable of guarding him, but he's still yeah, he like, they, he's bang and like the Lakers generally, like they're set up to be play against bigger teams. I think they're more set up to play the Clippers than they are to play against Portland. Let's put it that way with these guys like Danny Green and KCP, like these six, five, six, six guys who are good at guarding wings. So you look at it that way and it could be a problem for them at the defensive end against Portland. And there there aren't that many teams that have given the Lakers a lot of trouble defensively. But Port- Portland, I mean, they're just set up to be a lights-out offensive team, obviously. And so there could be some trouble for the Lakers there. Phoenix, I think, is really interesting because Phoenix, especially they get Kelly Oubre back, they get Aaron Baines back. Now you look at them with Aiton and Baines and you say, okay, there's enough size to maybe play against AD. You look at them with Mikhail Bridges on the perimeter. He's a little light to play against LeBron maybe, but he's probably a more credible LeBron defender than any of these other teams have. Um, you look at Booker and the hot streak he's on, uh, that that he could be a problem for them. And they're, like, they're just clicking right now. And I look, I don't think any of these teams are going to be like a capital P problem for the Lakers, but in terms of team, a team that could take them to six maybe portland or phoenix could be those teams san antonio is interesting i think they have a lot to be excited about going forward because of this team they have i don't think that the team they have right now is really a great playoff team derozan's still the go-to guy there's still not a ton of shooting Derek white is definitely playing better offensively they've been surprisingly good in the bubble but again a lot of that stuff i think has had trouble translating to a playoff environment in the past especially like when you look at derozan in particular so I think that's a matchup where the Lakers feel pretty good about. It's interesting with Portland, John, and you touched on so many things that I think are really important here, particularly how the Blazers would, would even try to defend LeBron. And I made the joke yesterday on um, on Tampering, Sam Amick's podcast, that LeBron has will, will have never been happier to see Carmelo Anthony back in the NBA than when he realizes he's guarding him in a playoff series. Yeah, but yeah. I, it, it, it's interesting because Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum are two you know, high-level ball-handling guards in, in this league. And the Lakers lost their one guy who can really stop players like that. And whether it's whether it's Damian Lillard and CJ, whether it's Devin Booker, whether it's in the second round and you've got and you've got Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that to me is the is the pivotal matchup problem for the Lakers. You're right that they're built more to beat the Clippers with, with their size on the perimeter, even though they've had to use Anthony Davis to guard Kawhi in their last two match, matchups. But do the Lakers even get to the Clippers if they can't if they if they, if they're facing these multiple star level guards night in and night out? Or is LeBron capable of guarding some of them? I mean, that's always that wild card that the Lakers haven't played all year. Like LeBron has hardly guarded a top level player in the other team the whole year, and it's part of this whole kind of way that they've paced themselves. And but when you get into those high level games and high level moments. Could they put, is LeBron capable of guarding Lillard and just using his, using his size? Or is he just, is he not at his age and at his size, is he not laterally capable of playing that kind of player anymore? I think that's, that's an interesting question. Can you think Um, of the best example of him in the past playoff runs guarding a true guard? You know, because obviously if we think about his, 
you know, him yeah. against Paul Pierce back in the day. It's mostly thinking about him against forwards, him against Kawhi. Can you think of him like when he guarded like a true guard? I'm having trouble with it because I'm trying to remember in those Golden State series if they ever really put him on Steph or Clay or was it, or if it was always other people doing that. Not really because it was obviously Durant and then yeah. that first series, it was like Del Vadova was playing pest on Steph while LeBron was kind of just – that's the other thing. LeBron seems to really love to conserve his energy in the playoffs on defense. Uh, because he's got to do so much quarterbacking. I mean, maybe he can do a little less of that. But the yeah. other thing, the age you mentioned, I mean, it was only seeding games, but he definitely looked, you know, and, and talked about it, especially with the group. This is the most he's been entering the playoffs to me with, like, uh, you know, soreness and, like, age, really, as as part of the conversation. Yeah. What do you guys think of their offense? Because, I mean, we're talking <laughs> about how they're going to guard people, but, like, they, they can't score at yeah. all right now. Yeah, they finally got some shots to fall against the Nuggets on Monday night. But uh, before that, I mean, it's been the worst offense in the bubble. Uh, you know, they were shooting something like 12% from three over the, the last several yeah. games. They obviously have confidence in themselves. And you hear Frank Vogel say, obviously, it's, it's going to regress to the mean. And it is going to regress to the mean. But the problem is, even coming into the bubble, they were only, like, Slater helped me out 19th, I think, in, in three-point percentage. So they yeah. entered they entered 17th in three-point percentage. They dipped like all 24th. the way. To, yeah, they dipped all the way down to like 26th or something. And I, you know, that's that to me is the biggest concerning factor. I put it, I put the stat out there, but the last I think it is nine champions were all top 10 three-point percentage teams. We're talking about a bottom 10 team right now. Uh yeah. And LeBron, LeBron leads their team in three-point attempts. He hasn't done that since 2008. Mo Williams style years. Do you win a championship in 2020 when you're a bottom 10 three-point shooting? I think that's a big concern. I mean, their transition offense has been so good that it has masked some of those problems. And even yet, even yesterday, like Kuzma hits the winning shot yesterday. Great. But is Kuzma a good shooter? Like, (laughs) do you you really think he's like, he's like the knockdown guy who's going to stretch out defenses for, for LeBron and, and Davis. Like I, I have my questions about that. Who, who on this roster? I mean, you're Danny Green's probably the one guy you're really scared of. KCP is the guy you're hoping could get hot. Who has kind of gone the other way so far in the in their first uh, six games. Who else are you scared of on the on the perimeter for them? Let's pause for a quick word from Indochino. When Davis or LeBron hits threes, that does take their offense to another level. I mean, we do, we think about them needing you know floor spacing around them, but they also kind of need to hit threes. Davis takes a decent amount. LeBron takes 6.5 threes per game about, and then it's a long drop off in Danny Green's number two. That really tells you a lot of what you need to know. You know, past LeBron teams where, hey, there's Kevin Love over there, there's Chris Bosh, there's Ray Allen. Uh, there is none of that on this Lakers team. And that is not even just, oh, because Avery Bradley's gone. Avery Bradley wasn't that either. So it's yeah. just how they were constructed. Excuse me, exactly. guys. You, you, are, you are overlooking a key piece of this offense, and that is JaVale McThree. He is shooting 50% from the perimeter this year. It's three of six. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's attempted yeah. six, but that is 50%. Well, they're hiding it so that they can unleash it in the playoffs, obviously. I have a bigger question on if JaVale is going to get plunked from the starting lineup pretty soon in the playoffs, and then they're going to go small, which, I mean, maybe we could transition into that, but do we think this is going to be an Anthony Davis at center team when it matters? Yes. All the time. Like, all the time. It has to be. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And even without Bradley, I mean, I, I just think there's, I just think they're more threatening and more capable of, of guarding the type of 
actions that other teams are going to run at them late in games. You know, when you have, say, Caruso out there with Green and one of the other wings, you know, probably KCP if he can, you know, remember how to play basketball here. And then LeBron and AD around them. I, I still think that's the best version of this team. Kuz actually could figure in there too. Like you could still be a big team and have Davis at five if LeBron and Kuzma are your forwards. Like that's still a big team especially if Green and KCP are the other two guys. So you could line up that way too. That looked pretty good last night against the Nuggets. That that lineup, Kuzma obviously um, had his best game in the bubble, uh, shot a really efficient 11 for 15, I think, 11 for 16. And it was and it was good from three. I don't know that you get that every night in that lineup, but that's kind of something he's been kind of pushing for to be, to get those minutes at small forward next to LeBron. Um kind of throughout the year. Now, the problem is with, with the way this roster is constructed, they just need him off the bench. Yeah, John, so we talked to, you know, I remember even having like a little written back and forth with you about Kuzma before this bubble started, how disappointing a year it is. You know, he's heading towards an extension and he's shot 29% from three, even though he's thrown up a huge high volume of it. The defense what hasn't been good. Um, it's been, what, six, seven games? This is now seven games for the Lakers. This has been probably maybe a best seventh game stretch of the the year. Even defensively, he had seven steals the last few games. They're a plus with him on the floor and like a minus 53 or something like that with him off. And he's looked good, kind of. Do you think this is just one of those random seven game Kuzma sample sizes where he looks like he should be what, you know, the Lakers fans believe he can be? Or do you think there's any kind of corner being turned? Uh, Maybe a little of both. I don't think he was as bad as he looked the rest of the year. Like I, I was scratching my head that he was playing that badly. And so for him to play better does not surprise me. Now, is he suddenly going to be a 40% three-point shooter? No, I highly doubt that. But there's more value there than he was showing on the court in the first half of the season. I think, I think everybody saw that yeah no doubt do you guys want to get it into the matchups a little bit I, i'm predicting it seems like it's playing out like it'll probably be a i'm gonna say blazers but let's say a blazers rockets clippers path at least that's what i'm hoping for that seems the most likely path houston is trying to keep themselves in that four or five bracket the other teams are trying to lose so that they don't have to play houston uh it's it's this very weird thing happening in the west where Everyone in four, five, six, seven is basically trying to lose their way down. Do you think Houston wants to be in the four or five because they want Lakers in round two instead of Clippers? They think they match up better against the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think uh, about that? Uh, I think they absolutely do. Yeah. I don't think they match up well against Kawhi. And then I think playing the five smalls for the Clippers, it's like, okay, fine. We'll play Marcus Morris at five. It kind of neutralizes what they're trying to do. Like, you know, we'll put Pat Bev on Harden. We'll have Kawhi and Paul George out there with Marcus Morris, and we'll be able to defend all your stuff. So I think they see themselves as more of a contrast and wild card and uh, sort of insurgent against a more traditional team like the Lakers. And, you know, being able to go into Staples and beat them right before the hiatus probably cemented that idea. And then they went and got their butts kicked by the Clippers right after that. So I do think if you gave them true serum, they would say, yes, put us in the four or five. We'll take on anyone we would play in, the, in, in that in the first round, and then we'll go ahead and, and give the Lakers a great shot in the second round. Do you see anyone, any team other than the Lakers or Clippers emerging from the West? You've looked at it all season long as kind of this, this two-team yeah. um, inevitability. I think we agree that the Lakers are more vulnerable now than they felt on March 11th. 
But when all is said and done, is there can Houston be the team in the finals, or is it is it really one of these two LA teams? To me, the odds are too long of Houston beating both LA teams twice in a row. I can't get to that mentally. Like without some game changing event, you know, an mm-hmm. injury or whatever, I just can't see that happening. How about that Lakers Clippers? With what you've seen, have the Lakers dipped in your mind because of what they were pre pandemic and what they have been in the bubble? Or are you still kind of have the same opinion of them going in that they're kind of just 1A, 1B with the Clippers? I have a maybe a slightly lower opinion because I'm a little more worried about the rest of the roster just because it hasn't been good. Like, I'd, I'm not worried about LeBron at all. I've, we've seen this movie before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do worry a little more about the rest of the roster. I think the rest of the Clippers roster is better and I think LeBron and Kawhi, like, is Kawhi exactly LeBron's equal or a little better or a little worse? Like, they're close enough that the differences in the rest of the roster really matter. And the Clippers have the advantage in the rest of their roster. And I know LA won that, uh, the Lakers won that first game out of the hiatus, but I still think that's a matchup where the, the Clippers just seem really comfortable with it and they can just play their game and win. John, let me um, run a quote from, from LeBron James by you and tell me what you think. Because he was asked, essentially, if the season carried over or if this was essentially a new season. Joe Varden asked him the question. He wrote about it today. But he did say, um, will we be the team in game one of the first round that we were when we stopped? I don't think so. But we'll get better and better as the games go on and as the, as the first quarter goes on, second quarter, third quarter. Can the Lakers afford to not be that team when the first round gets here? Can they afford to be a team that is still growing and building towards something if it is a motivated Portland team or a... Um, silly hot Suns team in the first round and with no home court and none of the the traditional... I actually think that might be good for them to get like a six, seven game series in the first round and get and end up playing some fourth quarters that matter. And I think that might be almost what they need at this point. I don't really see a scenario where they actually lose in the first round. So a scenario where they sweat is probably a good thing for them at this point and probably helps them be a little better prepared for what is likely Houston in round two. What if Houston beats them in the second round? I know we're getting, I'm getting deep into the, into the, the hypotheticals here, but this roster was built with sort of a two-year window. You know, obviously you had the player options. You've got a couple guys you've highlighted in the past who probably are going to go get paid more, JaVale, KCP. But if this team doesn't come out of the West or doesn't, you know, get to a six, seven game series against the Clippers in the conference finals that at least kind of validates the way this roster was built. Can the Lakers come back as currently constructed or how wholesale do changes need to be if the potential problems that we've kind of highlighted against some of these these other teams, notably Houston, come to fruition? Uh, They should trade LeBron to the Grizzlies for Gorgie Dang. Gorgie Dang expiring, right? (laughs) That'd be a nice little contract to get. You see? You're you're making the sale for me, right? It's It's obvious. Can can you get him without trading LeBron? <laughs> Listen, no no deal if, if Marshawn Brooks isn't included. Oh man. There's a situation with that. Uh, I'll have to get back to you. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think they're set up to come back next year and be built similarly, if not the same. I mean, certainly Anthony Davis is gonna re-sign something with the Lakers, right? And You're not scared those- off by Kenny Payne going to the Knicks? <laughs> That's big. The first thing everyone asked us in free agent meetings is, can we meet the assistant coaches? (laughs) Tell us more about your assistant coaches. I think they're still built to basically be just as good next year. It's how do they get another piece around these guys? I think they need to get a guard who can dribble and they need to get a little more shooting. Those are the things that this 
season exposed. And I, I, I still think they get a little too taken with just like guys who are sort of famous and were good five years ago. And, and to move a little bit away from that in their free agent strategy and, and be a little more strategic about who they target, I think would really help them. We'll see if Bradley or KCP are back. If they opt out of their deals, they can be re-signed at probably similar money. So I don't think that's a big game changer either way. Um, they're, the Lakers are actually pretty far from the tax. Like they'll be able to use their mid-level, probably get somebody pretty good given the, you know, they're the Lakers and you have LeBron AD there already. So I think they're in good shape to come back next year and make another run at it with some tweaks and that they don't have to do anything overly dramatic uh, in, in, in order to stay at this level or, or move up a notch even. Your point about the tax is well taken, but it is crazy how many low money deals ended up paying such high dividends for the Lakers this year. When you look at Avery Bradley and the number they got him at and, and how late he was still available ends up being one of their most critical defensive pieces. Dwight Howard by accident on a minimum. And then Caruso, absolutely. Guys who played big roles on this team, Caruso, Dwight, Avery Bradley, I'll throw Rondo in there. Mm -hmm. That's $10 million total, maybe? They did a really nice job on the fringes. I mean, and you have to give Rob Polinka credit for that, particularly after the season before when they went out, and and to your point about guys who used to be good, you know, Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson suddenly showed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this year they still, I mean, toward the end, I mean, like, Bringing in Markeith Morris and J.R. Smith and even like, we'll see what Waiters gives them. Um, that, that was a little more of a calculated gamble because he at least gives them some playmaking on the perimeter that they don't have. You know, I think there might have been some better ways, ways they could have gone there, too. Well, at least they upgraded with Markeith Morris was certainly an upgrade over DeMarcus Cousins and uh, who was not going to play. And Deion Waiters um, over Troy Daniels and does the things that Troy Daniels wasn't doing, which is, you know, be able to create off the bounce a little bit. So, yeah, there, were, there was some logic there, even though, yes, time will only tell if if they end up being contributors in the postseason and, and playing the kind of role that they that they need. Part of what I'm going to write, if this Blazers-Lakers first-round matchup materializes, is, you know, Anthony Davis only has 13, you know, career playoff games. It's just a small little sample. But four of those were against Portland, and he just crushed them. He averaged 33 and 12. He had 47 in the closeout for a sweep. A little bit of a different front line, but still, you know, somewhat of the Portland than it was. I guess broadening what I'm about to ask out, do you think Davis, is that kind of maybe the undertold thing when we're talking about the Lakers' potential playoff path? Does Davis just have to be top five Davis on a pretty consistent basis, and then suddenly that that they are taken to that tier where they should be able to handle Houston, and they end up definitely give the Clippers, you know, a deep series and maybe beat the... I mean, these, uh, these, yeah, I mean, these series against Portland and Houston, like Davis has to kill these guys. Yeah. I mean, if he's, if he's a top 10 big, you know, a top 10 player in the league as a four or five, like he, he has to kill these guys or what are we doing here? Yeah, no doubt. What have you thought about his bubble play? Cause it's like, he has the game against Toronto where he only shoots seven times and Nick Nurse throws some double teams at him. And sure, like, yeah, yeah you know, you're taught kind of pass out, but you're taught to kind of pass out of it. But he was just way too easily kind of conceding to what Toronto wanted. And then you've seen a lot of teams since then be like, you know, great idea, Nick Nurse. We're going to keep doing that. And he's had some really kind of like hesitant games, low field goal attempt games. He's been in single digits twice. Now, he did have the the go bear game where he just killed Gobert and I think that was partly mm-hmm. because Utah thought they could just single cover and he was coming off the Toronto game where he got criticized um but you know we're heading in and Davis is what he is as a talent 
but we've never seen them on this big stage, you know, have to just like, well, we've seen them a little bit, but really on a big stage, have to like forcefully win a series, go get 45 consistently against Houston or else the Lakers might lose. Um, What do you think about him? This is time. I mean, I I don't, I don't really put a, too much stock in these games that have happened so far. Like I, I just feel like the Lakers are—they know these games don't matter. And just when you know in your head that this game doesn't matter, you treat it like a preseason game. And so I don't put too much stock in that. But you're right; he hasn't been on this stage really, except that one series against Portland. That—that that was really the one time he had the the team around him too that was capable of winning a series. We're getting into new territory here, and and, and we'll see what he can do with these highest levels when when coaches are scheming for him and and trying to throw different wrinkles and the lack of the lack of shooting threat that they've shown though is that's another worry for that because again you're going to be more inclined to double him when you know that the guy on the weak side is a low 30s proposition to make you pay do you think houston's tact will be you know taking what nick nurse did and like really kind of trying to utilize that with their small guys digging at his dribble or do you think houston will be of the mind of like go score 45 whatever you're gonna do it on twos we're gonna try to beat you on threes on the other end like just basically knowing davis houston is has go off. they've they've tended to love to double team post-ups from the weak side when when they have a real disadvantage like against pj tucker they might not bring a double i'm not i'm not sure against any of their other smalls yeah they're gonna bring a double probably anything just Else, maybe not necessarily what you've seen from the Lakers, but just what what is ahead for them matchup wise potentially, but just anything in these playoffs. I just think the Houston series is going to be really interesting. How they try to match up, whether they play big or small, what kind of wrinkles Houston throws at them, what kind of things the Lakers can do against their guards, especially with not having Avery Bradley. I think that's going to be a fascinating series from a strategic standpoint. I'm really interested to see, like the second round in general, I think is going to be pretty amazing. I'm really interested in, in a LA Houston series in particular, though. Where are you at on the East? Do you think it's Milwaukee? Are you a believer in Toronto without Kawhi in a playoff series? Or is that more just like kind of back to where they were great? Right here's, the, here's the problem. It's, it's a little bit of rock, paper, scissors because... Toronto, I think, can match up well enough against Giannis to give the Bucks some problems, but Toronto has a lot of trouble with Boston, and so I'm not sure Toronto gets by Boston. And then Boston is roadkill against the Bucks. They've always been. They've had nobody who can guard Giannis, and that that series just ends up being a kind of a mismatch because of that. Interesting. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and kind of you know previewing what I can't believe we're actually getting at playoffs. August September playoffs. October NBA Finals. Lottery next week too. I need to pay attention to that. Thanks again, John, for coming on. 